Um, Did everyone get a copy of the outline? Sorry for those of you who love a lot of bullet points. Um, I give you lots of room for your imagination in between. Um, And then a song sheet, please, that at the end we'll sing these three verses. So let me open us in prayer. Our Father, please give us insight and understanding of your word in our hearts and minds today. Um, We ask that you increase our wisdom in applying scripture to our lives, that it becomes more than theory or philosophy or poetry, that it is truly lived out in the minutia of our days. Please guide us into a deeper knowledge of who you are and how you would have us live. Thank you for the opportunity to come here in peace and comfort and warmth to study and without fear of harm from oppressors. May we not take a day for granted in your presence. In Christ's name, amen. Woo, that caught me by surprise. <laughs> um, my mother-in-law is in the hospital, and as I was helping her eat lunch on Saturday, she asked me um, what I was doing the rest of the day. And I told her, well, I'm preparing my lecture for Bible study. And she asked what the topic was. <laughs> and I said, well, the chapter title is Marriage and Sexuality. She laughed and said, oh, are you an expert then? <laughs> And I said, hardly, but that's the beauty of it. I'm talking about what God has to say about these subjects and not what I have to say about them. So I'm telling you that as well. We're journeying through these scriptures together. I repeat, I am no expert on this. But that said, um, these passages definitely do not allow us to live in theory of how to conduct ourselves, do they? They are pretty explicit. Um, Some of these may be difficult passages because they don't appear on the surface to apply to everyone. Um, But actually, they do apply. Whether married or not, a proper view of these aspects of life are needed. They're needed by the body, sometimes for healing, sometimes for influence, sometimes for instruction, We all are the bride of Christ. So saying that, let's move in. I love the visual picture that Kidner wrote. And I think Atkinson says a version of this too. I don't know who said it first. I read it both places. But it's that Proverbs puts godliness into working clothes as it sits inside the realm of everyday life. Let me repeat that. Proverbs puts godliness into working clothes as it sits inside the realm of everyday life. So let's explore those working clothes, insights into marriage first. We discussed in our lesson what marriage is and the picture it is to the world of God's relationship with his children and Christ's relationship to the church, that we are his bride. Such a beautiful picture. I mean, talk about flipping the world's view of marriage upside down. The world's view of marriage is to make me happy and fulfilled and enhance my life. And if you don't, well, you know, we'll see. 
If you haven't read Paul Tripp's book, What Were You Expecting? I highly recommend it. It's a raw look at marriage, explaining what it is created to be versus what the world says marriage is. Another good book is one that this church offered as a study in Sunday school last year, and I heard some of the one of the moms' groups going through it. But it's by Tim and Kathy Keller, titled The Meaning of Marriage. It's also a very honest look at the intricacies of the marriage relationship. It helps us understand the act of mutual submission, respect, and self-sacrifice that occurs in marriage. It's like no other relationship in the connection to one another. So, as you know, wrapped in that discussion of marriage this week is the famous Proverbs 31 woman, right? Which is probably one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible, especially on Mother's Day. <laughs> um, call it, y'all have probably all gotten cards about it. You've, you've come across it everywhere. But um, one of the things, I mean, it's a beautiful poem. And you've probably heard that it's an acrostic. It's a style of writing where the first letter of each of the attributes is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's a great literary style for that. Um, But if we're honest, at some point or another in our lives, the mere title of Proverbs 31 Woman has given us a pang of guilt Am I the only one? Or a little tightness in the chest? Like, I can't possibly do this. Um, but no one can. <laughs> no one can. I mean, if we take a closer look, the Proverbs 21 woman is not just a busy woman. Not working for work's sake. When we just look at the list of things she's accomplishing, we're focusing on the activities more than her heart behind the activities. In essence, she is fulfilling what God has placed before her, which today the equivalent might be a poem like, she fills her minivan with snacks, drives her children to school on time while singing worship songs. She seeks out good deals to save her household money, then picks up the children and takes them to the ball games and piano lessons and cooks a nutritious meal for dinner. And after everyone has gone to bed, cleans the kitchen and prepares to do it all again the next day. No, that, that's not what it's about. We need to see that her heart is turned toward the Lord to do what he has placed before her to do. She is not idle. And she has turned toward caring for her household, the household the Lord has given her. But that will look very different for each one of us. We are not called to duplicate her task. And I have sat in sermons before that listed <laughs> at other churches, not this, <laughs> but list the task as a to-do list. That's where I get the pang of guilt and anxiety in the chest. But at the end of the day, we need to ask, Have we increased our family's effectiveness for the Lord or hindered it? Not what task did I get accomplished today. It's so easy to misinterpret the Proverbs 31 woman as perfect. That's never scripture's intention that we can be perfect apart from Christ. God loves you just the way you are and has equipped you with all the grace and gifts you need to be exactly who he called you to be. 
And that is going to look different for you, different than the woman sitting next to you. We're called to effectiveness in the realm where we're planted, not perfection. And I think it's worthy of teaching to women in the church today to say you are enough. You are enough in Christ. Let's help each other get off the treadmill of perfection, headed to nowhere, into the peaceful meadows of effectiveness, drinking of the deep waters, and having our souls restored. See her heart. And it piggybacks on our lesson last week with Alice speaking of the heart, the the true heart. Now, on to our other part of our discussion for this week, sexuality. I love a quote from R.C. Sproul, and you have part of it on the outline, the entirety. I'm just going to read part of it. I think it's very applicable to what we're studying this week. The part um, that says we need to listen to the wisdom of God so that we can cut through the many distractions and confusions of modern life. Are there any louder voices, distractions, and confusions in modern life than the voices shouting about sex and sexuality in the world today? Well, maybe this last month, politics, but um, usually it's... Sex is the loudest. That's why it's a billion-dollar pornography industry. That's why the stats are showing 91.2, I think I read, 91.5 men and 60.2%. Did I say? It's all percentages. 90.5 and 60. I'll send it to you later. But it's over 60% of women and men that participate in pornography or use pornography in some way. Congratulations, we're a majority now. I mean, we have got to talk about these things. It is a very loud voice out there. So Proverbs doesn't tiptoe around it, and neither should we. Sex is one of the most powerful gifts the Lord gave marriage. But that's just it. It's for marriage. A unique thing happens when a husband and wife come together intimately. There's a recreation of the relationship each time. It's a reminder of the covenant between them and only them. Can you imagine how the world would be revolutionized if this gift was kept within the exclusivity of marriage? Marriages would operate with such security and energy. In turn, families would be strengthened because of the strong bond created exclusively between the parents. Communities would be transformed because of the health of the families within them. Cities would run more efficiently because of the proper function in communities, and so forth and so on. It could be like harnessing the wind for a power plant or directing a river to power electricity to a whole region of a country. Fractures in this sacred bond have a ripple effect. Sex is supposed to be a uniting act, a recreating of commitment. And C.S. Lewis likens sex without marriage to tasting food without swallowing and digesting it. The world has it turned upside down and often thinks that we as Christians have such a low view of sex that we keep people from it as much as possible. 
And that's why we have the parameters of marriage around it. But it is actually that the Bible teaches such a lofty view of sex that it's regarded as something that needs to be protected and kept between a husband and wife. Sex, Keller says, sex between a man and a woman points to the love between the father and the son. It is the most ecstatic, breathtaking, daring, scarcely to be imagined look at the glory that is in our future. Now, that's a lofty view of sex. (laughs) That is something worth protecting and guarding. But if we as a church are not portraying the truth about sex or not talking about it at all, then we leave people to draw their own conclusions about it from the world. And the world's voices are loud. We so badly want our covenant children to wait until they're married to have sex. But often we fail to tell them that that one event is not the mountaintop. That on a marriage day, they are embarking on a sexual journey together. And that is meant for a husband and wife to share in the most vulnerable of ways. However, that aspect of the relationship cannot be compartmentalized from the rest of marriage. It's a celebration, an expression of what is happening in the rest of the relationship, much like worship on Sunday morning is a reflection of the time that we've spent with the Lord during the week. Anyone who's climbed a mountain knows that they can't expect to be at the top of a mountain immediately. It's a journey. If you want to know more about God's design, um, I highly recommend a study on Song of Solomon and... um, Also, if you blush reading our English version, I've uh, read that the Hebrew words are much more explicit as to the couple enjoying what God has given them. And if you're struggling in this area because of past experiences or teachings, please seek counsel. God gave sex to marriage as a gift to be enjoyed, not an obligation, not something to endure, not punishment, not reward. It is like a mighty river that when kept within its banks, the river carries life, generates power, does so much good for the people around it. But when a river overflows its banks and goes where it's not intended to be, it brings death and destruction, crippling the people living around it. That journey is where all the other parts of Proverbs come into play. We have heard wise words in previous weeks about idleness. We have heard how we need to guard our hearts diligently, for it is the wellspring of life. This section can't be pulled apart from those. We as the church must teach the proper view of sex because a view is going to be formed. It will not be neutral. A friend of mine who has a teenage son and I were talking and she said, I don't want to talk to him that much about sex because the more I talk, I feel like the more he'll think about it. And then she kind of caught herself and laughed and said, uh, I guess it doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> he's he's going to think about it no matter what. I need to um, make sure that he's thinking about it properly and in the proper perspective. And... We want our children to have the correct information to be exposed to that proper view and give them the tools to navigate 
the power that is mentioned in Proverbs. And that's what the author is doing here. Giving right information for when, not if, temptation comes. When. We see the forbidden woman in several verses start with her smooth talk. The narrator can see that she looks so appealing to the young man. But in reality, she is a fool. She is the one who's reaching out to take what she wants with no regard for her future. No idea that her actions are folly, empty pleasures that will leave her decimated in the end. You may remember, it was a few years ago that it was very popular for landscapers to add a folly into English style or cottage gardens. And um, a folly is a structure that looks like a building, but has no purpose. It's hollow on the inside. And it first came about in Europe as a workman's relief program during the potato famine. And so wealthy landowners, to, in order to not just give hands at handouts, but to give people jobs, built these elaborate structures on their property, usually up on a hill or off in a field, so it would be at a distance. But upon arrival, it's nothing more disappointing than a hollow building empty on the inside. Dare I say that this is a lot like what parents say they experience when they take their kids to Disney World and Cinderella's Castle. If you've ever been there, the children are so excited and then they get there and Cinderella's not actually there and it's not, it doesn't look like a castle on the inside. I have to admit I was a little disappointed and I was an adult when I went the first time. But um, who is this folly, this forbidden woman? Uh, D. Marion Clark says she may well be a woman tempting you to adultery. She is also the sex industry trying to draw you in so your money will be taken. She is the secular society trying to lure you into her world. She lures both men and women, and she is effective because of her smooth words. Sex outside the bounds of marriage is always suggested as something that will add, enhance life. But that is a lie. It's a reduction of life. It sears the sinner's life. Otherwise, the warnings would not be so strong. None of us are immune to this. We need to take heed lest we fall. It doesn't start when you jump into bed with someone else. It starts when you think someone else understands you better than your spouse. How many marriages do you know of that have ended because one of the spouses reconnected with someone, maybe from their past, on social media? The brokenness that results because of going down that virtual street where the folly is calling to us is devastating. It often starts in our minds, that's the street, What lyrics are we putting in our brains or shows or movies are we watching? What books are we reading? We think they are harmless, but they groove paths in our minds. They're ungodly. They're untrue. They're unwholesome. Are we free to watch and listen to them? Yes, all things are lawful. Scripture says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. The things that are helpful to you are holy, pure, gentle, kind, good, and full of wonderful rapport. Those are the paths to take. 
We can never think we're immune to temptation. Always expect that temptation is going to be a struggle. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. What we are seeing in Proverbs and the authors describing so vividly is the aftermath of that destruction. I grew up in a rural area, so it was pretty common, a common occurrence for me, but I'm assuming that at some point all of you have seen the remains of an animal that's been attacked, a rotting carcass or a skull. It's not pretty. It's gruesome. And it causes you to flinch, plug your nose because of the stench, and distance yourself as fast as possible. That is what the author is giving the listener here in this picture, this very descriptive picture of where dancing with folly leads. As I'm reading about this woman, I get a visual image of almost every fairy tale movie I've ever seen. The beautiful temptress offering something delicious or easy or fun or sparkly. And once the tempted one partakes, the beautiful temptress starts to transform into a gnarled, hideous creature delighting in the fact that they've gotten what they wanted and that laugh, they always have that evil laugh over what they've done. They've drawn someone else into their darkness. No one wants to look back and see themselves in the verses in chapter 5, 11 through 14, groaning when your flesh and body are consumed and saying, oh, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink or utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Much of what we're studying involves decisions, wise or unwise, chasing wisdom or chasing folly. We can glean the importance of staying in God's word because it is the source of life to us. It is wisdom. We can't possibly counter all that washes over us during the week with only a Bible study and a sermon. That is not enough to counter the very loud voices in the world. The author of Proverbs is talking about actual actions here, but Christ takes that one step further in Matthew 5, 28, saying, But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman or a man With lust has already committed adultery with her or him in their heart. So what does chasing wisdom look like in our lives? Does it mean canceling a magazine subscription, turning off our devices more often, not watching that questionable movie, reaching out to your spouse to reconnect in a more meaningful way to recenter our marriage? Tripp says, the Proverbs are designed to rescue us, to rescue me from me. The wisdom on the pages of Proverbs is Jesus. Proverbs point to God's grace by pouring down his wisdom, which we learn can only come from him. Beware, lest we become wise in our own eyes. The greatest danger is foolishness from sin. And I've asked Jacob to lead us in a song that points us 
to the day of the Feast of the Lamb mentioned in Revelation when everything sad will come untrue and the struggle will be over. We can look forward to that day and celebrate when our bridegroom comes. It's verses 1, 2, and 5. stand. We can sing these verses a little bit better. Sands of time. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of Oh. 